Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 55, Under the Yoke. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. A big thank you to Neil Bennett for signing up on Patreon to support the show at the $2 level. And if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Inca podcast and do what Neil did. Support the show at the $2 level. Every little bit helps. A few other announcements before we get started. With the holidays more or less here, it is time for me to go on my usual winter hiatus. I know, I know, I just got back from a long hiatus. And that is why the show will be returning right after the new year. I have early January marked down on my calendar for episode 56. So don't worry, no waiting until February for the show's return, just a few weeks off, and then we're back at it, as long as everyone stays healthy and I'm on top of my research game. Once I return, we'll be going full steam ahead nearly until the end of the show, with possibly a few weeks off prior to the last couple episodes to make sure everything is wrapped up nicely. One of the final episodes will include a question and answer episode. Remember those? Gosh, the last one was right after Pachacuti's death, so it has been a very long time. So if you have questions about anything we've covered during the show, send them my way. Of course, you can tweet me your questions at Inca Podcast, send me a message on the Facebook page, or send a good old-fashioned email to IncaPodcast at gmail.com. Now then, if you recall in our last episode, we primarily covered what took place in and around Quito. Kiskis never made it to the northern city. Instead, he was killed by his own men. Kuzi Yupanki was at first welcomed by Ruminawi before being cut down. Governor Alvarado became trapped in the mountains before being forced to relinquish his desire for more gold, leaving his men to remain with Almagro. Balalcazar clashed with Ruminawi in and around Quito before the latter was forced to retreat into the rainforest. The Inca captain was eventually captured and executed in Cusco. In the first part of that episode, though, we covered the rise of Manco Inca, one of the four brothers I told you all to keep in mind back in episode 42, when he was still called Manco Capac. The young Inca was raised up by Pizarro, who needed another puppet Sapa Inca after his first choice died en route to Cusco. And Manco, not much older than 15, was eager to work with the Spanish to secure the fringe and to drive Kiskis off. Now we return to Cusco to see how this latest Sapa Inca would govern under Spanish occupation and what sort of relationship they would forge. Enjoy.
As the Spanish filed into the city of Cuzco, sacred capital of the Inca, Pizarro announced to his contingent that the Inca were not to be harassed. The Spanish were to leave them alone and allow the Inca to go ahead about their business. And we are told that Manco Inca was allowed to administer the empire, or what was left of it, quite freely. Likely similar to the freedom Atahualpa had at Cajamarca, seeing captains and other officials. However, it is hard to imagine that the Inca were not harassed long after the Spanish entered the city, because right after his proclamation, Pizarro began to give some of the buildings in Cusco to his officers. Pizarro took the Casana, the former palace of Pachacuti. The Coracora was given to Gonzalo Pizarro, the structure to the east of the Huacapata was awarded to Amagro, while the Amuru Cancha was given to Hernando de Soto. While the Spanish were squatting in these buildings, they were able to observe many of the Inca customs up close. This period would turn out to be quite vital as some Spaniards took note of what they observed either writing it down themselves or later recalling practices for someone else to take down. I'm not going to go over all of the ins and outs of certain practices here because, well, we've covered it in the past episodes. The honoring of the dead and the veneration of mummies, the pouring out of chicha as an offering to the wakas, Punchaco, or the sun statue being carried out back and forth into the Coricancha. The Mamaconas of the Akawasi and their task of chicha making. The cultivation of the land, the collection of goods, and how those goods would be stored in colcas. All of those things were observed by the Spanish here in Cusco. Probably more so than at Cajamarca. Of course, also noted, were the riches of the city. Fine, beautiful feathers, mangles of mother of pearl and gold and silver. From a cave, possibly Picaritambo, pitchers, slippers, and creatures of gold were all found. Many were likely taken by the Spanish as they continued to feel their own insatiable desire for gold. And soon, the Spanish began exercising other means to acquire more wealth and control of the Andes. Manco Inca and his supporters had hoped that if the Sapa Inca went along and cooperated with the Spanish, that they would eventually leave the lands in peace and return to Castile, content with establishing their puppet. But that was not to be. Pizarro approached the Inca and asked for tribute information on the provinces and the lands surrounding Cusco. One can only imagine the bewildered look on the conquistador's face when he saw Akipu Kamayak present him with a kipu. It may have been the first and one of the only times that an outsider would have been able to witness the kipu being used in action. Eventually, though, Pizarro obtained what he was after, 
and using the information, he distributed lands amongst his fellow countrymen, disheartening the Inca. Pizarro didn't spend much time in Cuzco, though. Instead, he departed for the coast. The governor put his brothers Juan and Gonzalo in charge of Cuzco and met with Almagro and Alvarado on the coast before the latter returned to Guatemala. You see, the Inca capital was an important city symbolically, of course, but it was high up in the mountains, far away from the coast where ships and trade would bring in goods for the Spanish. So just north of Pachacamac, Pizarro set about founding the City of Kings. But we'll refer to it by the name it goes by today, Lima. We are going to stay in Cusco, though, as there is a lot to cover. Because not long after Pizarro left, Manco Inca may have been wishing that the conquistador was still around. Juan and Gonzalo soon confronted the Inca and accused Manco of plotting to raise a rebellion, just as Atahualpa was accused of doing. Manco immediately denies this. What have I done to you that you should treat me in this manner and chain me like a dog? Is this how you reciprocate the favors I have done you by guiding you through my land and by making you many loving presents of things that I owned here? You are doing me very wrong. Not satisfied with Manco's denial, the young Inca was thrown in chains and left to wear them for several days until the two brothers returned. Again, they asked Manco Inca about him raising a force against them, and again the Inca denied their allegations. The Spaniards claimed that if what the Inca says was true, then he would have no issue about giving them some gold to clear his name. Furious, Manco Inca orders them to all leave so that he may get the gold their greed desired. Manco Inca called the lords and officials of Cusco to assemble, and while in chains for all to see, the Sapa Inca announced how evil the Spanish truly were. They were not the Viracochas that everyone believed they were, and Manco Inca regretted letting them stay. He appealed to the crowd to collect more gold and silver so that the Spanish would be satisfied. The people were eager to assist the Sapa Inca, and soon the gold and silver were gathered, and not long after, the Spanish came to collect. Manco did not hesitate to remind the brothers how he had welcomed them and how he put the resources and people of the empire at their disposal, that by taking the gold they were wronging the people and taking advantage of them. However, Manco Inca also said that he was giving the gold not out of fear, but out of love because he wanted a friendship with the Spanish. For their part, Juan and Gonzalo briefly thanked the Inca and took the ransom that was gathered. Now, in many sources, Pizarro is on the coast for these events, but in Titu Yupanqui's account, the governor hasn't quite left yet. Instead, we are told that Pizarro had taken ill, but came to Manco Inca to apologize for the way his brothers acted. Manco simply asks Pizarro to ensure that his brothers 
just leave him alone henceforth. Unfortunately for Manco Inca, that was not to be, because just three months later, Juan and Gonzalo Pizarro returned and demanded more gold. Manco again chastises them for what they are doing, but Gonzalo takes it a step further by demanding that he be given Cora Oclo, the Koya, as if she was just another item to be collected from the Inca. Via Umo, the title of the high priest, entered, and seeing Manco again in chains, also began to chastise and question the Spanish as to why they would treat someone like this who had already given them everything. What sort of game are you playing here every day with our Inca? Today you arrest him, tomorrow you torment him, and the day after you shower him with contempt. What has this man done to you? Is this how you repay the benevolence he has shown you by allowing you into the country against our will? What do you want with him? What else can he still do for you after everything he has already done? But Gonzalo wasn't hearing it, and he told the Via Uma to basically shut up, and again demanded the ransom to be collected. Menko once again had to go to his subjects and ask that they deliver yet more gold so he may be set free, and again they agreed to collect whatever they could for him. It took two months, but the gold was finally gathered. Two months too long, if one asked Gonzalo, who impatiently waited the entire time and eagerly arrived as soon as he heard the ransom was ready. But when Manco Inca was about to be set free, Gonzalo ordered the men with him to stop. He demanded Cura Oclo to be handed over as well. The Sapa Inca reluctantly obliged, but instead of handing over the Koya, he had one of her servants who bore a resemblance to Cura Oclo go with Gonzalo instead. The Spaniard was none the wiser and left with the gold and the Koya impostor. Another incident arose during the sacred Capacraimi celebration. During the rituals, several Spanish conquistadors felt threatened by the young Inca men carrying their ceremonial maces. When the Spanish demanded that the maces be handed over, there was confusion, and soon swords were drawn. Manco Inca quickly came over and demanded the Spanish back off and leave them be. And the Spanish did. Not only that, but they also apologized to the Inca, recognizing that they were in the wrong in this case. Needless to say, the repeated imprisonments, the extortions, the seizure of buildings, interruptions to ceremonies, and let's not forget the execution of Rumanawi, all took their toll on the Sapa Inca. The Spanish weren't the only things weighing on Manco Inca, though. There were issues with some of his fellow Inca. Some of them coveted the position Manco now found himself in, despite all of its setbacks. One plot centered around one of his own brothers, Pascac, and his plot to kill Manco and assume the fringe. The plot was discovered by a Spaniard, 
who warned the Inca. Beware, Senor Manco Inca, for your brother Pascac is coming to murder you. For this purpose he has hidden beneath his cape a dagger, with which he is supposed to stab you while paying his respects to you with a kiss. Therefore, when you see him coming, take heed and command me to kill him, and I will do so. Not long after this information was revealed, Pascac approached Manco at a ceremony to pay his respects to his brother. The Sapa Inca allowed Pascac to come near him, and when his brother was close enough, Manco swiftly pulled out his own dagger and stabbed Pascac several times, killing him. This shocked the witnesses present, who couldn't believe what they saw, but no one could say a word, not to the Sapa Inca. Pascoc was not the only brother that was assassinated, as Almagro is said to have been responsible for killing two other brothers of Manco Inca. In fact, he may have been the one who warned Manco about Pascoc's plot. And we have some indication of how the Sapa Inca convinced the Spaniard of assisting him in the disposal of his kin. Manco Inca apparently promised to reveal the location of a large amount of gold and silver to Almagro, and the Inca may have approached Almagro because he sensed the rift between him and Pizarro and wanted to exploit it, perhaps gaining some favor if the rift ever became a crevasse. Unfortunately for Almagro, he would never receive any reward for his assassinations, when he approached Manco about the location of this hidden cache of gold and silver, the Inca pretended to know nothing about it. It may not have even existed to begin with. It is an example of how the Inca would use the greed of the Spanish against them. Do not feel sorry for Almagro, though. In due time, he was awarded the governorship of the lands to the south, modern-day Chile. The news of his governorship coincided with the return of Hernando Pizarro to Peru, back from his trip to the Spanish court. Meanwhile, Hernando de Soto will exit our tale for good. He would return to Spain, weary of the infighting taking place between Pizarro's brothers and Almagro. Soto would return to the Americas years later, but that is for another story. Meanwhile, as Almagro and his men, several of whom traveled with Alvarado to Peru, set out to explore this land to the south, several prominent Inca joined them, via Oma, or the high priest, and Payayu Inca. It seems that Payayu had again been spared another purge, seemingly because of his youth. While Almagro headed south to Chile, Pizarro's three brothers continued to run Cusco. Juan Pizarro planned on arresting Manco Inca for a third time in yet another attempt to extort more gold from the wary Inca. Depending upon the source one reads, Juan was able to imprison Manco Inca but Hernando Pizarro arrived fresh from Spain and freed the Sapa Inca. As a reward for freeing him, 
Manco is said to have asked Pizarro permission to leave the city to retrieve an idol of gold to give to the to retrieve an idol of gold to give to the Spaniard as a sign of gratitude. Another source claims that Manco Inca received word of Juan Pizarro's plan to imprison him again, and right before it happened, the Sapa Inca declared that he was going on a hunt at Calca, located in the Urumbamba Valley. Manco Inca was permitted to leave by Juan, figuring that he could always execute his plan once the Inca returned. Regardless of how or why he left Cusco, Manco Inca was able to do so, but he wasn't going to retrieve an idol, and he wasn't going hunting. You see, Manco Inca had been meeting with several captains and elites prior to Villa Oma and Payayu leaving on the expedition with Almagro. In fact, the high priest and Manco's brother were to spread word in Koyasuyu for Sinchis to gather forces and to return to Cuzco. It was time to remove the Spanish from the Andes. <laughs> <laughs> 